Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Marianne Wolfe. This week, we will continue to delve into our second in a two-part series about the Leandro Comprehensive Remedial Plan. We will talk with leaders about what we need in order to meet the needs of all of our students and ensure that they all have access to a high quality and equitable education. We're delighted to welcome back to our show, Jeff Coltrane, the Senior Education Advisor to Governor Roy Cooper, and Dr. Bev Emery, the Executive Director for the Office of District and School Transformation for the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction and the State Board of Education. Welcome. Bev, with so much discussion right now about COVID-19 transition and recovery, I'd love to start by asking you, how does the Leandro School funding case and the subsequent plans fit into this context? I think they're so aligned. Uh, you know, we we've been saying all along, and I think WestEd report really confirmed that it isn't that we don't really know what to do. It's the will and the resource and support um, to make it happen. And so I think uh, those priorities in the plan really on steroids <laughs> would be a way for us to quickly recover and accelerate. And so we're you know, I think we're very aligned in what we're looking for, particularly at the department um, with recovery. And um, as we get out across the state and coach and guide districts with SR2 and SR3 applications, really trying to look at these key areas that we know are real levers for improvement. Jeff, I know there's been a lot of work going on, but one of those areas has been the Leandro eight-year comprehensive remedial plan, and that builds on the report and also the short-term action plan. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how it does lay out the systemic investments that are needed to make sure we are meeting our constitutional obligation for every student. Um, the plan uh, uh, lays out actions across those seven key areas that Judge Lee identified in his January 2020 order. Um, that I, and I know that your show has been talking a lot about over the last couple of months. Um, uh, an effective teacher in every classroom, an effective principal in every school, um, a finance system that provides adequate, equitable, and predictable funding, an assessment and accountability system that reliably assesses multiple measures of student performance, an assistance and turnaround function that provides supports to low-performing schools and districts, um, a system of early education that makes sure our students enter kindergarten ready for school success, and then uh, an alignment of high school to post-secondary uh, and career expectations. Um, the actions um, are laid out across um, uh, eight years, so beginning this year through fiscal year 28, with the idea that the goals in the plan will be achieved by 2030. Um, so the, the plan includes a range of, of um, actions that require budget, um, so funding appropriations, uh, as well as policy actions, and included is an appendix that provides cost estimates for each of the actions that require uh, funding. So for instance, on the, the, um, the budgetary side, the plan recommends expanding um, funding, supplemental funding to school districts to support our most at-risk students, like our students from low-income families, our students with disabilities, our English language learners, which would require budget action. Um, but the plan also envisions uh, realigning our assessment and accountability system to better meet the Leandro goals and, and, and help schools identify areas for improvement which would be mostly policy related. So that would require action by the General Assembly and the State Board of Education as well. Right, and Bev, I know you've been traveling across the state in many schools and districts and have an opportunity to really see the most critical needs. 
How do you think those needs, including this year, align with the Leandro plan? What I want to connect to in terms of sort of what Jeff spelled out in the plan is um, the, the districts that we've been blessed with SR1 money to begin working in. So we're working with six districts and 44 schools. Our approach um, really has tried to align to those seven areas and which pieces or action steps can we um, can we use, but also be need-based. So accountability, for example, we won't measure the impact of our work on growth or proficiency. We have two years worth of funding. We're not even there, but we are looking at what are those common trends across, let's say the six districts that we could show measurable improvement in turnover, right? These districts have tremendous issues with teacher and principal turnover. So what training or what kinds of attractions um, can we build into these places that make them uh, keep, retain, sustain? And um, we're really creating our indicators based on common needs across these schools and districts. So we're starting sort of blind, if that makes sense. But in the end, we know we'll have some common indicators. And our goal in that is to really support the work. You know, this is all really connected. So superintendent just launched Operation Polaris and one of those work groups is accountability. So there is great commitment to sort of looking at this differently and in a multifaceted way, much like defined in, in West Ed. And then what we're doing is sort of piloting or experimenting with can you really demonstrate measurable outcome in an area like teacher turnover um, and draw that back to improve student outcomes. So a mouthful, but you know, our coaching and guidance and training and development is really aligned to those seven areas. And of course, we're not hitting all of them in every place, but based on their need, really trying to um, use two years of funding to demonstrate that there are, there are ways we can make improvements that are tied to some measures. Thank you. And Jeff, I know last month the governor released his recommended budget for 21-22, which certainly plays a role in all of this. Would you share a little bit more about the areas identified in the governor's budget for pre-K-12 education? So um, specifically around Leandro, the governor is committed to pursuing the policy and programmatic changes outlined in the comprehensive remedial plan and to making sure that the state um, and our school districts have the resources necessary to achieve those actions not just over the next two years of the plan, but over the next um, eight years as well. So uh, in his recommended budget uh, proposal for the next biennium, he's proposed nearly $600 million in additional funding for pre-K-12 education um, and a little over a billion dollars uh, for the next fiscal year for 22-23 um, to improve things like teacher quality and support, provide additional resources for students you know, who are most at risk and have the greatest need, uh, increasing budgetary flexibility for our local education agencies, which is another key area that both our superintendents have outlined, as well as West Ed, um, that they need to be able to better meet the needs of their students, um, ensure students are career and college ready, and then, of course, to strengthen our um, early education and, and supports, um, specifically um, in some key areas that are outlined in the Comprehensive Remedial Plan, and, and of course, we're in the West Ed and the Commission's recommendations. The governor's proposing over the next two years an additional $80 million to help hire more school nurses, psychologists, social workers, and counselors, which we know are 
critical positions in supporting the mental and physical health needs of our students. Um, he's proposing a 10% increase in salary for our educators and then bringing our non-certified staff up to a $15 per hour minimum wage. Um, he's proposing $230 million over the two years to expand funding for children with disabilities, English language learners, low-income students. Um, and we know from what we've heard in districts that those students are likely to be the ones who have been most impacted by COVID and the, the, um, the time away from in-person learning. So not only will this funding begin to lay the foundation for building a more equitable um, education system um, over the long term, but will also play a role in helping those students to recover from COVID, um, as well as uh, $78 million in new investment for our early childhood uh, NC Pre-K, including um, additional slots in the second year of the biennium and then beginning to uh, increase what's called the reimbursement rate for NC Pre-K. We know a number of uh, local counties have not been able to take advantage of expanding pre-K because of the required match. And so trying to make it much more um, equitable for them to be able to expand so that they can serve more students over the long term. Thank you both so much for being here and for lifting up these critical issues. There is so much to think about, but I'm grateful that both of you are out there working on this every day and helping to guide us. And after the break, we will be joined by Dr. Tony Jackson and Brad Wilson. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank serving others, enriching lives. We are thrilled to have back with us today, Dr. Anthony Jackson, the superintendent of Vance County Schools, and Brad Wilson, chair of the Leandro Commission and former CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield, North Carolina. Thank you both so much for being here. Last week, you shared about how important the Leandro case is now in terms of COVID-19 recovery and transition, but also into the future and how we have this seminal moment to make sure that we move forward in ways that will make a difference for all of our students as well as our economy. We'd love now to transition to diving into some of those specific issues. We, we're going to have to invest uh, in ensuring uh, that the, the leadership pipeline is also uh, uh, addressed. Um, I've seen a lot of great uh, uh, schools and every time I've found a great school, I've found a great leader uh, who is able to marshal resources and to prioritize the needs of, of that school and that organization. So I, I really do believe that that pipeline for leadership and that pipeline for uh, those people who stand in front of uh, our students uh, it, uh, it represents, I think, our greatest leverage points uh, right now for moving uh, this forward, as well as the ability uh, to, to fairly fund and, and close some of those funding gaps between those districts like mine who sit in a very competitive region uh, and I have to compete uh, and, and understanding uh, the financial realities of my community. I think we're gonna have to really uh, talk about what equity really means for us as a state and what it means for us in terms of marshaling resources uh, so that uh, my students who live 35 miles away from the Research Triangle Park recognize that that place um, includes uh, their hopes and can be included in their hopes and dreams as well. So I, I think it's just a matter of, of, of really making sure that we have good leaders in place, good teachers in place, and great opportunities uh, uh, at, at the uh, disposal of our, our schools and our students. There has been quite a bit of conversation around our school buildings and yet another place I think that has become more obviously 
you know, people want to be back in schools and want their students back in schools. There are some exceptions, but we know that's been an overwhelming uh, interest of our families. And it has come up both in the budget, but also in Leandro, just the importance of investing in those buildings and that our state does have a significant gap. And I just wanted to give either of you an opportunity to comment on that and why this might also be the right time to invest there. Thank you for raising that issue. Uh, that's, that's one of the many ingredients of that coming together in the recipe of successful education. Uh, yes, the inventory is clear that there are buildings that need to be replaced, uh, maintenance, uh, keeping up the assets that we have. Uh, and so that is a very, very important uh, part of it. And we shouldn't gloss over it. Likewise, as we think about that capital investment and the bricks and mortar, if you will, we should also uh, continue to realize that the infrastructure inside that building, uh, now we are, are learning just how important ventilation is. I mean, it wouldn't even have been in the conversation uh, two years ago, but those kinds of things that don't necessarily attract our eye or our imagination, but the infrastructure, the technology, the technological infrastructure uh, for, our, um, uh, for our buildings. And, building them so that they can flex and grow uh, as the needs uh, and uh, times uh, change. Uh, Multi-purpose use, which we now know our school buildings are used for, or we've always known, many, many, many different uh, things. And of course, the key is how do we pay for all of that? And bringing a rational and thoughtful uh, process by which we can, can begin to meet the needs that uh, capital needs that are a critical part of access to a sound basic education, which the constitution requires. Okay. I, I would echo that, that um, in, in my district, we have several buildings that are well beyond their, their life uh, expectancy, 50 years or more. Uh, and the, the, the ability to uh, with local dollars to replace or improve those facilities uh, are, are sometimes a challenge. And, and I think we're going to have to think differently about how we support those uh, uh, investments. Um, but I, I don't want to miss, uh, and I appreciate you saying that, that uh, Brad, around the infrastructure uh, in terms of broadband, uh, that that's now going to have to be considered along with the facilities, the actual bricks and mortar now, the expansion uh, and the extension of broadband as a utility out to our families. Uh, again, COVID taught us that if we're not prepared for that, we're going to cut off a, a significant amount of our kids from the learning process. And then we're going to take steps back from that commitment to a sound basic education for all children. They have to be able to do that. So I think we're going to have to really think about a new 21st century definition of infrastructure as well in terms of what we what we consider uh, that and then I think we're going to have to make bold uh, uh, investments along the way. Uh, Brad mentioned about uh, facilities. Typically, as I built schools, one of the first things when we start chiseling back that budget is generally the mechanical systems, uh, the HVAC systems. And we try to buy the ones because we think, well, in 10 years, we'll be able to replace it. So we're not going to do a 20-year system. We'll downgrade just a little bit. We'll still have good air filtration. And, and we tend, those are the places, because you can't see them, you begin to start 
cutting away at. And we're finding that those things are going to be important in terms of creating the right environment for our kids to learn uh, uh, in. And I think we're going to have to just be very bold about making those investments, understanding that they're going to impact not only um, the aesthetics of a facility or uh, the comfort level, but the educational uh, capacity of those facilities to meet those needs that we've been challenged to meet. What advice do you have for our state, including leaders who may come from different political parties with different priorities in terms of how we come together to ensure that all students have equitable access to a sound basic education? Tony? I would encourage uh, those to, uh, who, who are decision makers to come to the table uh, recognizing or at least embracing the fact that 50% of what you think you know might be wrong. Uh, and that we can in fact reach consensus uh, if we first agree on the things we agree on. I think we all can agree uh, that our children, that, that their futures are, are important to us. Let's just start there. And then I believe that you then start to build out those small pieces, find where you agree and get those things moving. You don't have to have 100% perfect uh, to get started. Uh, I would say that once we begin to see success together, then let success build upon success. Don't try to plan the full successful journey, uh, if, even if it means having to go piece by piece, but by, by, by all means, let's get started. Uh, one observation that I would make, again, is to urge us to think about uh, the Leandro case just for a second in response to your question. It began as a confrontation, a conflict. There was a plaintiff and there was a defendant. And there were arguments about many a components of the questions that were being debated in a courtroom. But the point is, it was a controversy and it was a conflict. We now find ourselves in the course of the history of Leandro, where the adversaries, the plaintiff and the defendant, defendants, have come together and have agreed among themselves, with the guidance of the court and a lot of outside experts, if you will, and input, that the plan that we can now all read as reflected by the court order is an agreement about the path forward. And so I would urge now that we move from the judicial process or continue through the judicial process, but it moves into the public forum and the policy development arena that that emotion, that feeling, that atmosphere of compromise, of consensus, of coming together to fulfill the moral and moral imperative and the legal obligation as required by our constitution, be the North Star and the guiding light. And I think that as this important and complex conversation continues, that if we can keep that in the front of our minds, we will be able to achieve the goals that Tony have just so, has just so eloquently articulated in response to your question. And I'm optimistic and hopeful that that's exactly what North Carolina will do yet again, because that's who we are. Well, thank you both so much for sharing today. I am also optimistic and hopeful in that when we talk about the issues and we talk about what we need to do, we again and again hear these common themes and we know we can do them. They're just gonna take back to, I think what Tony said is the will to really carry this through. So thank you both for joining us today and being here. Thank you. Thank you. And after the break, this week's final word. 
We know that our students need high quality, well-prepared teachers and principals. We know that our students need access to early childhood education. We know that we must address the academic, social, and emotional learning of our students, which includes access to school support personnel, such as counselors, social workers, and psychologists. We know that we need accountability and assessment systems that provide us with the data and information we need to meet the needs and support all children in their growth and learning. We know that we need safe learning environments for our students. And we also know that having these critical components in place in each of our schools across the state requires resources. The interesting thing about these foundational priorities is that there is general agreement that they are important for our schools, regardless of role, political party, or area across the state. Despite that general agreement, we have not been able to meet our constitutional obligation as a state to provide every student with a sound basic education that aligns with the tenets of the Leandro case. It has been 25 years since the beginning of North Carolina's school funding case known as Leandro. Since that time, it has been repeatedly found that our state has not been providing the resources or public policies required to meet the fundamental needs of all of our students. The last year and a half, however, have given us renewed hope, even during a time of incredible adversity and uncertainty. The independent research and powerful action plans submitted by parties involved in the Leandro case have provided a roadmap around which our state leaders can coalesce to make systemic investments in policy changes that will ensure we finally meet our constitutional obligation to equitably provide each and every child a sound basic education. Building upon a January 2020 court order and a short-term action plan for fiscal year 2021 that offered specific steps our states could take to ensure that we meet the needs of all students, parties to the Leandro case submitted to Judge David Lee in March an eight-year comprehensive plan that offers detailed and sound directives for the years ahead. Much of this plan mirrors policy goals and key areas of investment found in the independent nonpartisan research report conducted by WestEd. During the past few months on Ed Matters, our regular viewers may have noticed that we've sought to highlight these important policy areas that serve as the building blocks for a high quality educational experience for all from revising school finance and accountability systems to developing robust initiatives around teacher and principal recruitment and retention. The long-term Leandro Comprehensive Remedial Plan offers strong directives in these areas and many stakeholders have come on our show to explain how to turn these ideas into action. The plan also emphasizes the need to focus investments on the whole child by providing funding that increases the number of school instructional support personnel, to begin to meet national guidelines, initially prioritizing high poverty schools. This is an important area of investment that we have highlighted repeatedly as we know that students' basic physical and emotional needs must be met before they can be ready to learn. And throughout the key areas addressed in the eight-year action plan, the investments and subsequent work that is laid out will ultimately serve to take important steps toward addressing the systemic inequities that exist for so many of our students especially students of color and low-income students. Addressing each of these and other critical issues requires resources and funding. With the appropriate policies and resources, the investments will help with the immediate needs of our schools and districts as we begin the recovery from COVID-19. And they will also support critical areas for long-term efforts to ensure that every child in North Carolina will graduate prepared for college, career, and citizenship. 
Our state is fortunate to have resources available to address the needs of our schools and students, the understanding of what is needed and the will of education stakeholders and policymakers to enact purposeful and effective policies. We must, use, we must use this critical point in time to lay the groundwork for accelerating investments and innovations in education for all of our students. Our schools, districts, and communities do not just need or ask for more money. They need, and has been for decades, is for investments in these critical areas that research has shown makes a difference for students. Thank you for taking time with us to learn and think about education. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.